Well, I was talking to our worship pastor, Matt Cole, before this gathering and got this fact checked, but this is the first time in church history that we have ever done the sermon right off the bat in a gathering. So six and a half years in, we're still seeing God do brand new things as a church. And for some of you, this is the first time that you have ever gathered with Auburn Community Church. And we don't think that hitting play on a video is sort of a backup way of tuning in with our church. We believe that you are a part of this faith family And can we just welcome everybody who's new to our church? This is an amazing audience to have. Some of them that are here today didn't even know that they were going to be here in this moment. And I just believe God has something so special and significant for you individually. And I believe God has something so significant for you if you're watching at home. And we come to the end of Thanksgiving week, and I hope you had a great week. I hope you enjoyed a Thanksgiving feast In fact, go ahead and turn to the person next to you and tell them what your favorite food is on Thanksgiving. Go ahead and tell them that right now. I want you to check in with them. Is it mac and cheese? Is it turkey? Never. Mine's spaghetti. And you're like, oh, that's not a Thanksgiving food. It is in our house. Okay, always, every year, it was like, what are we eating on Thanksgiving? What do we eat once a week? We're gonna have pasta, and we're gonna have meatballs, and we're gonna have all kind of stuff. And I grew up in a home where that was totally normal. And so when I show up at some Thanksgiving feast, I'm like sometimes disappointed by all of the American sides that are offered. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I can't wait to preach the word of God. Over the course of the past two Sundays, our college and community pastor, Gage Henry, and our worship pastor, Matt Cole, have been bringing the word of God, and they have brought some powerful messages into the life of our church. And I'm so grateful that like a couple weeks ago, I talked about how empty my soul gets from, from pouring out on so many Sundays and so many moments like this where it's like I'm sharing and I'm doing what God called me to do. But I just gotta tell you, getting to sit and receive the word of God taught by other men in our church has been filling and fulfilling for my soul. More than any set of sides or whatever food on Thanksgiving, I have loved the spiritual meals that those men have brought into the life of our church. And here's what's dangerous. When I get a couple of weeks off and I get a little bit of margin, God plants a word inside of my heart with a little bit more passion and a a little bit more volume than maybe you're used to. So I believe you're in for something special today. Before we even sing a song, I believe God's gonna do something so good. Are you ready for this sermon title? This installment of our Ephesians series is called Wide awake, wide awake. Like Katy Perry said, I'm wide awake. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, wake up, wake up, make sure they're awake, make sure they're ready for this. I want to preach to you from Ephesians chapter five about spiritual awareness, spiritual alertness. If you don't know this as a Christian, you, whether you knew this or not, have entered into a spiritual battle. And I think so many times when we think about the battle between light and darkness, the battle between good and evil, our tendency as believers is to see ourselves as either strong or weak. So some of us think that we're too weak for the battle that we're facing today, but I've found overwhelmingly true in the lives of people that I know and people in this church that a lot of times, it's not how weak you feel in the battle that determines how you fight, it's whether or not you're even awake to the fact that you're in a war or not. And I talk to believers who are totally unaware of how much is at stake with the decisions that they're making today, who have no idea the ramifications of whether or not they decide to fall before God and pray or whether they decide to just see how today goes on default because tomorrow I can pick it back up. And so I wanna preach a sermon that's really about waking up to the war that is happening all around us in the spiritual realm. 
And that's intense and kind of coming out of nowhere, especially if you're watching with your family on Thanksgiving, but I think that's okay. As I was getting this one ready, I was thinking about this story where my wife and I, we went to this wedding shower and, and walked through the door and I directly made eye contact with a woman who has been in our church for over six years. She doesn't live in Auburn, but she prays like she lives here because she believes in our church. And she's actually one of our elders, David Fickner. It's his mom. And so we all call her Oma. And if you've ever seen her on a Sunday or prayed with her, you know the power of God is on this woman. And so Courtney and I walked into this wedding shower that was for somebody in her family. And, and I'll never forget this because it's a wedding shower. It's a Saturday evening. Like I'm just ready to go hang out with friends. And it's kind of a, a leisure moment in a life that I live that is loaded with intense spiritual moments. And so I'm walking into this wedding shower and I remember this woman making eye contact with me, making a beeline toward me, grabbing me, this is pre-COVID, grabbing me by both ears and going, man of God, man of God. I'm like, yes, ma'am. And she goes, and what's funny about this is I actually have a video and I think I'm gonna post it on my own social media to show you. I'm not exaggerating this at all because Matt Cole was sitting at the table when she grabbed me and he hit record on his phone. And this was such a special moment for me. She goes, man of God, we're in a war. We're in a war. And the enemy is getting so, so tactical with the way he is taking down guys like you. And I'm praying for you. And I just wanna make sure you're awake to that. It's a wedding shower. I mean, I'm like, oh, I wasn't thinking about that. I was like, just, just planning on hanging out. But yeah, we are. We are. You're right. We are in a war. And I love that woman. And I love the way her prayers have fought so many battles spiritually for us as a church. But I actually believe that this sermon today is going to come across to you a lot like the way Oma came across to me at that meal. It was like, I just turned on church today to get an encouraging word. I just like, came to, to experience a little bit of God. I didn't come to be shaken up on my face, told, we're in a war. But the reality is, the enemy is that ruthless. And the consequences of whether or not you make a decision to make Jesus your everything and follow him with your life or go your own way today are so worth me preaching a message that is fully intended at waking you up. And Ephesians 5 is gonna have some intense language. In fact, it's gonna confront most of the sinful behavior that you and I struggle with. And it can feel a lot like someone is shaking you, going, you change right now. You do this differently. But Paul's intention is actually to wake us up to the spiritual battle that exists around us all the time. And so if you have your Bible, hold it up. Come on, y'all, hold it up. Loaded with Bibles in this room. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. The holidays are always a good time for new relationships to blossom, for old relationships to die if need be. And so we'll just see what God does. Ephesians chapter five, I'm gonna read verses one through 20. And I just, I wanna go through the whole recap of Ephesians, but I just wanna hone in on this passage. We've talked a lot about unity with Christ and we've talked about how these two groups, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians have become one. And Matt talked about how we're members of one body together. And now what's happening in Ephesians four, five, and six is Paul is building on the behavior that comes from the belief that Jesus is who he says he is. So you got three chapters of belief 
that you have been brought into the family of God, that the gospel is true, that you are a son, you are a daughter of the living God. And now four, five, and six, you got, okay, what behavior flows out of that kind of faith? And you can go back on our YouTube page and watch all of those sermons. But in this moment, Paul is going to continue the conversation that Matt talked about last week of putting off the old self and putting on the new self as a member of the kingdom of light. Ephesians 5, verse one, if you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. How fitting is that? Didn't even plan for that to happen this week. There it is. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a lot of commands. That's a lot of don't do this, don't do this, can't do this, don't walk over here, don't go over here. And it's a little bit overwhelming to read a passage like that and feel okay spiritually. So if as I read through that, you're going, ouch, it doesn't make you a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites, by the way. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you today. It means that you're someone who's trying to change and be made into the image of Christ. If that passage hurt, that is a good thing. But I want to show you, before we get into all the little details of what's really going to hurt about this passage, I wanna frame it in the frame that Paul puts at the beginning. So go back to verse one. What did Paul say? And Paul always does this, by the way. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Whenever Paul gives practical instructions about the Christian life, he always does it as a fruit of already being a child of God, not the root of being a child of God. So it's not our behavior that earns us a level of approval with God. It's our behavior that flows from the fact that we know we're already approved by our heavenly father. So 
as dearly loved children. Paul's saying, this is who you already are. This is not who I'm trying to make you become. This isn't who you have to work toward growing into. This is how God sees you today. And because that's who you are, guess what? It changes the way that you live. Some of you need to know, activity always comes after identity. And behavior always comes after belief. And so every time you read one of Paul's letters and you read like significant practical instructions, I want you to notice something. They're never at the beginning of the letter because Paul never comes out firing going, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this without first putting firmly in place the foundation of this is what it means to be a child of God. This is what it means for Jesus to be your everything. And if you get this, now the fruit grows from knowing that you are loved by God. Look at verse three. But among you, There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Here's what's intense about a passage like this. It's hard to even keep track of all of the things that are not okay in your new nature. So if you're making a list, you're like, okay, sexual immorality, what does that mean? That's the Greek word porneia referring just beyond to just sexual intimacy before you're married. It means any, any act of sexual immorality outside of the intimacy that's reserved for the marriage bed between a man and a woman, not okay, sin. But it's not like he just mentioned something as like far reaching and difficult as that. He goes into greed. He talks about the way we use money. He talks about the way you handle conversations with your friends. He gets ultimately into envy. He gets ultimately into drunkenness. He talks about all these things. Like I can't even keep track of all the things that I'm not supposed to do. But here's what I love. When Paul is encouraging us to take off the old person and put on the new He always does it in such a way where if you follow the command to put on the new person, it takes care of the old person. So when you're reading this, yes, you need to look at all that you have to take off. But we don't look at that through the lens of legalism or lawlessness. We've talked about this before, and I just love what Matt said last week about don't use legalism as an excuse to not obey God. This passage is pretty clear. Children of God obey God and live holy lives. It's the fruit. It's a complicated process of growing in that fruit, but it is definitely the fruit. But too many of us, when we read a passage like this, we respond one of two ways. We either become legalistic and we go, okay, this is what I can't do, and this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm gonna try harder to do it. And that's setting you up for failure. Because if any of that could have ever earned God's approval or got you perfect enough, Jesus wouldn't have come down from heaven and died on a cross so that God could save you. But then lawlessness is where a lot of us fall into because we go, okay, if I can't do it all perfectly, I'm not gonna do any of it. And I'll just do whatever I want and ask God for forgiveness later. And I've talked about this many, many times before. Someone who thinks like that is probably not a child of God because they don't understand that knowing that you're already pleasing in the sight of God leads to a life that is pleasing to God. So if it's not either one of those, what is it? It's not legalism, it's not lawlessness, it's love. Walk in the way of love. Love is not just what bought you and brought you back. Love is now the pathway that you're called to walk. And so you gotta take all these things off, but really the one thing that you gotta put on takes care of it all for you, and it's one word. And I can't believe this one word because the week that I'm preaching it is Thanksgiving week, and I want you to say it with me. What does Paul say? He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather, say it, Thanksgiving. Look at that. Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving week. And Paul is saying, listen, listen, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, but what you need to trade in your old self for and what you need to put on is this thing called Thanksgiving. Why does Paul say that? Because Paul understands Thanksgiving 
is not simply an American holiday where we gather to eat a lot of food. Thanksgiving is an attitude of the heart that delivers your appetite from wanting anything less than God. Thanksgiving's not just a holiday, church. Thanksgiving is a weapon. And it's actually your weapon against the darkness for winning the battle before it begins. If, here's what I mean, if your heart is already overflowing with thanksgiving about what Jesus has done for you and your life is in a position to serve other people and you're enjoying God and you're delighting in your sonship, you're delighting that he calls you daughter and you're learning more about him and you're seeing him use you in a powerful way and you're praying and you're singing songs and you're overflowing with thankfulness, you know what that does? It makes you not even have time to think about the desires that pull you back into who you used to be because this life is so much better. So I'm tired of Christians trying to choose between what will I do today, light or darkness? Who will I be today, the old me or the new me? If you go ahead and decide to overflow with thankfulness for the fact that God has already brought you back from the dead and made you into the new you and that thankfulness is affecting your emotions and the way you look at the rest of the world, I can personally promise you this, you won't have time to flirt with the darkness because you'll be so focused on the light. This is how you walk in freedom. I've never found spirit, true spiritual freedom in my life by applying myself to more discipline. Those have always led to short-term changes. And you think it's working, because it works for a week or a month, some of you even a year. But the long-term change that God makes in someone's life is actually not rooted in working harder, it's rooted in worshiping harder. And when your whole life is an overflow of thankful worship, now all of a sudden the battle against sin becomes more simplistic. I've said this in the past, but I wanna, I wanna say it again. I, and I, I hate that I always say that. I've said this before, I've said this before. Somebody told me recently, they're like, you need to re-say everything that you said a year and a half ago because 70% of the people who are listening to you now weren't listening to you a year and a half ago. So here you go. The key to spiritual clarity is heartfelt gratitude. The key to spiritual clarity is heartfelt gratitude. What is gonna wake you up today? It's not gonna be God coming in front of you and going, listen, if you don't decide to do things my way, here's exactly what that road is going to lead to, and here's what's gonna happen to your marriage, here's what's gonna happen to your future marriage, here's what's gonna happen to your family, here's what's gonna happen to your health. That's not the way God does it. God wants thankfulness to light your way. And if you're looking for what is the secret ingredient to getting me wide awake spiritually today, it's whether or not gratitude is making your heart overflow with thankfulness to God. So some of you who spend all of your time looking for the will of God, clarity comes on the other side from realizing that you don't find the will of God. You get clarity about the will of God by being thankful in your current season so that he can light your way to your next season. And some of you don't realize this, God's not gonna show you what's next until you're grateful for what's now. And that gratitude will end up becoming the very thing that delivers you into what next. See, gratitude is a weapon. Thanksgiving is a weapon. And these are words that I just feel like we've got to use outside of the month of November or outside of the holiday season. We've got to be a people who push each other to overflow with gratitude more often than we are a group of people who check up on each other's sins. How, how many of you have been in a community group, been in an accountability group? And the question about accountability comes up, everybody goes, 
And they, they just slowly go, okay, here we go. Everybody's gonna talk about what they've struggled with this week. Everybody's gonna turn over all of the many things that they've done. Everybody's gonna cast their burdens in the middle and we're gonna have people who are still addicted to this and people who haven't had a quiet time in months and people who whatever, whatever, whatever. Very rarely is the question, what have you intentionally done this week to make sure your heart is flowing with gratitude? Like, what have you done to get before the Lord and go, God, I'm just not grateful. I'm not grateful for what Jesus has done. I'm not grateful for the life that I've been given, and I have to get out of this apathy. I have to get out of this cynicism, and I need your spirit to help me do it. And when you do that, that's when darkness becomes light. Watch what Paul says in verse eight. Go down. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. No human being on this planet is neutral in the battle between light and darkness. And you have never had a day in your life where you've gone neutral and just lived in between and we'll, we'll live to see another day. It's either the light shining or the darkness overcoming and winning. Some of you just need to know today, there are no spiritual Switzerlands. Like there's nobody who's like, I'm just gonna stay out of the conflict and just kind of lay low and hopefully you guys figure it out one day. No, either today, the darkness is advancing on your calling. The darkness is advancing on your future. The darkness is advancing against the potential of what God could do in and through your life or the light is winning out. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to wake you up. And here's the good news. Wherever light is, darkness flees. So we're not talking about a matchup that's actually competitive. We're talking about a matchup that just requires presence. The light automatically wins if the light shines in the darkness. So if you're in the dark today, you don't need enough light to overcome enough darkness. You just need some light. And that light that lights your way is a grateful heart. So the problem that we view spiritually about our sin struggles, the problem that so many times we're trying to fight, we're fighting on a ground that God hasn't called us to fight. The ground that God's called you to fight, and I so believe this personally, the ground that God has called me to fight is to make sure my heart is still grateful, make sure I'm still worshipful, make sure I'm still praying, make sure all of the things that have led to passion for God over time are still overflowing. And that's what the last couple of weeks have been for me. And I, 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 I've been really honest on this stage, and all I really wanna do is preach the word of God. I never want this to be a therapy session for me. But not preaching has just given me the opportunity to step back and go, okay, it's never okay to be giving away so much of yourself in ministry without paying attention to the little things that make gratitude flow, no matter how long you're following Jesus. So for some of you today, you're so apathetic to God. 2020 has been a year where you've never felt more distant to God. I just wanna ask you, would you take time to get before the Lord and go, God, I need to be thankful. And so I'm gonna start small, And I'm going to start with a few things, but if you can just name before God what you are actually thankful for and maybe let those things grow. I don't mean go around the Thanksgiving table. What are you thankful for this year? Which is harder for a lot of us in 2020 than ever before, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, legitimately thinking about what Jesus has done, reflecting about what's true in the scriptures and letting your heart overflow. And Paul says this in verse 14, this is so huge. He says, this is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. It's a really interesting verse because Paul quotes it the way he usually quotes Old Testament passages, but this verse is not in the Old Testament. There's variations of it. Like in Isaiah, 
But apparently 2,000 years ago, this was a really popular saying in the church. That they would say to each other, hey, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Which is interesting because if you're a Christian, Jesus has already risen and Paul's already said in Ephesians and in other places that we are risen with him. This has already happened. But apparently 2,000 years ago, Christians found that they needed to remind each other to rise from the dead today. Hey, sleeper, wake up. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you because... Just because today you're wide awake with gratitude and you're flowing with passion for God doesn't mean that tomorrow that's still gonna be here. And so 2,000 years ago, you got people walking around going, hey, are you wide awake? Are you awake? Are you awake? Hey, rise from the dead because that's not just a one-time thing. That's something we go back to again and again and again. And somebody who is sleeping, it's not that they're not alive. It's that they're not aware. And the reason why we need to be awakened today is so that we can be overcome with awareness, not just of the battle that's waging all around us, but of the fact that Jesus has won and God is readily available today. When you become alert spiritually, have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and it's like, I hate that. This is terrible. Like, I don't want to be aware of all these things. I want to be asleep where I was before. That's not the type of wide awake I'm talking about today. The type of awake I'm talking about today is when you get a sense of relief because you thought something was about to come down on you that actually ultimately isn't going to fall on you. You ever been forgiven of something? You ever had something that you totally thought was gonna fall apart and it wasn't that bad and you're going, oh wow, thank God. That's what it means to wake up spiritually. And that's why if gratitude is the entire Christian life, it's not about earning for God all the obedience that you need to put in place. It's about thanking him that Jesus has already done it and is available to do it for you again today. So when you become wide awake, I'm not talking about, ow, okay, wake up, wake up, come on, come on. No, I'm talking about, oh, wow, this was never on me. Let it go. Throw it down and let him be God. Decisions create futures. This goes on in verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I did a sermon on this passage called Decisions Don't Lie in our dating and marriage series. Back, that was this year. I just realized that. It feels like five years ago. That was in February of this year. Wow. And what I tried to do is talk about how Decisions will tell the story about an individual's path. They can, you can say with words all that you want, that you're gonna go in this direction, and you're passionate about this with your life, but decisions don't lie. What you decide today will become where you are tomorrow. It's what Andy Stanley calls the principle of the path. You get on a road that goes in this direction, you're guaranteed to end up at the destination of where you're heading. And some of you think today that spiritually, you're gonna end up in a destination that has nothing to do with where your feet are facing today. And I just want to challenge you to wake up today. Are the paths of your feet being paved by grateful worship to God? Or are they being paved by anxious effort to try to figure out your own way? Making the most of every opportunity. I love this. This is, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is already known. So for all of you who spend all your time asking about the will of God, searching for the will of God, praying about the will of God, asking mentors about the will of God, I love that Paul's like, figure out the will of God. No, he says, you actually need to understand what it already is. Because what it is, is whether or not your heart is passionately, madly in love 
with Jesus today. And if it's not, it's okay to be honest about that. But what the enemy does, the enemy is all about taking little struggles and turning them into big opportunities for isolation. So a lot of times, what could have been a little issue that God could have worked out in your life years ago, because it became a secret and because it got hidden in the dark and didn't get illuminated in the light, now you've ended up down a road that you didn't even anticipate you were going to go down and you don't know how to get back. And all it really ever took was you saying out loud, I'm not really that in love with God today. And maybe sharing that with people so that they can be praying for you and maybe having a network of people who has actually held you in your relationship with God in ways that you couldn't on your own. Everything I just said happened to me today. There is a group of women, not just Oma, but a lot more who have committed themselves to praying for me and my family since we moved to Auburn. And I didn't ask for this, by the way. I was in the church world in Metro Atlanta, Georgia, where just to be honest with you, prayer was kind of a bonus that happened before every service, not really a lifestyle that a lot of people were holding on to. And so what attracted me about Auburn was that there were people who didn't just pray every once in a while. They like committed themselves to a lifestyle of prayer. And over time, what happened is I noticed there were spiritual battles in my own life that would be released by not fighting them alone. So when I would get sick on a Saturday and not be able to think, even think about preaching on a Sunday, I would text those women and say, hey, y'all need to be lifting me up right now, right now, right now. When I would feel myself losing my passion and zeal for Jesus, I would go, hey, hey, listen, I need you to help me carry this burden. And what I've noticed over and over and over again is when what's in the dark gets exposed in the light and now you got an army locking arms with you, what you thought was so hard to overcome has actually already led to freedom because of who Jesus is. God's got this rig to be relational. Listen, that's why we tell you to get in a community group. That's why we tell you, even if it's on Zoom, you need people, you need people. This isn't like an end of the sermon line that we do to stack up our community group numbers. This isn't like a bonus point so they'll be more involved in the church and maybe pay more attention to what's happening in the life of our church. No, we just know you can't do this by yourself because stuff stays in the dark when you are by yourself. I absolutely love this passage and I love how much it talks about bringing things out into the light. You know, we had somebody who got baptized he shared his story, it was so powerful, and he quoted this verse as he exposed some of the deepest, darkest secrets of his own and his family's past. And what was beautiful about his confession was you were watching healing happen in real time. Some of you remember exactly what I'm talking about. You're watching it like so hard for him to talk about, but you're watching this army of people who's celebrating his baptism and gathered around him to help him get to healing. That's what it means to be awake. It means to be in the light. Because where do you sleep? In the dark. Where do you walk? In the light. And you walk as children of light because you have a father who's already taught you how to walk in love. Let's finish it out. And then we're finally going to sing. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, too many people quote this verse and they go, alcohol is something that every Christian should stay away from. I believe alcohol is something every Christian should be very, very careful with because of alcohol's ability to wipe away your inhibition and particularly to wipe away your ability to remember. 
See, what Paul is contrasting here is being filled with alcohol so that your worries can be forgotten or being filled with the Spirit so that God's promises can be remembered. So this isn't a battle about drinking or not drinking. This is about what's the source of your joy? Is the source of your joy, this will take away my inhibitions and give me peace for a little while? Or is the source of your joy, Jesus is who he says he is, my life exists on purpose and I'm gonna let worship become my weapon to walk in thankfulness. This is so good. Rather be filled with the spirit. How do you do that? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. This is the only time in the Bible where you get commanded to sing at other people. If you have ESV, it says addressing one another in psalms and psalms. In other words, we're not just supposed to sing together on Sundays when we watch online gatherings. We're actually supposed to be humming music of gratitude to each other. Why is that? Because Paul knows the only way to stay wide awake spiritually is to let worship continue to flow. So even if you just gotta be humming a Carrie Job song as you go to work and it affects your kids on the way out, that's what I've been doing lately, by the way, because her new album is fire emojis. It's amazing. But we've gotta let the songs of our church not just become songs that we sing up, but songs that we sing out to one another. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why are we doing worship after the message? Because we're gonna go ahead and live out the message before the gathering even ends. The last thing I want you to do if you're watching this is to go, okay, good message, Miles. Thanks for the Thanksgiving word. I'm gonna move on with my day. No, no, do not tune out. Even if you're not going to sing these songs, You need these songs to go out wherever you're sitting or wherever you're standing right now. And I believe that as these songs, these are some powerful songs that we're about to sing, by the way. Y'all are so lucky to be in this room right now. I just feel like God's about to fall on this place in such a powerful way. But we want more than songs to be sung right now. We want gratitude to flow. And maybe as you see lyrics on a screen that remind you of spiritual realities that you thought you had forgot, there's something happening when we do that. And it's not just the worship part of the service. It's our opportunity to fight the battle together. This is how we fight our battles, church. We sing. And we don't sing because we're good singers. Some of us are. People like me are not. Sounds bad. So bad. But the Bible doesn't say make a pleasant noise to the Lord. It says make a joyful noise. And so what I'm believing for as we sing in this room... And as we have a little bit of a worship set for us to just breathe in the presence of God, I'm believing for chains to fall. Not because you figured out how to maneuver the area of life that you're struggling with today, but because you're going, I'm wide awake. Jesus, you've already won the battle. Thank you for reminding me of what's been true all along. And now I sing to you. Would y'all stand up all over this room? If you're watching online, you can respond to this however you wanna respond right now. I just ask that you get your heart in a position to go to war against the darkness by enjoying God. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, I cannot wait to sing these songs. I cannot wait to enjoy you again because it's what my heart needs more than I need another sermon. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak directly to the heart of everyone listening to me right now. If somebody's listening to me online and maybe you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, this is that moment right here, right now. Would you just say, Jesus, I give you my life. This weekend will be one you'll never forget. This moment will be one you'll never forget. 
and never be the same. God, for everyone else listening to me, I pray that our songs would be pleasing before your throne. I pray that as we remember things that are true because of your victorious life, death, burial, and resurrection, that gratitude would grow, that hope would grow, that freedom would grow, that purpose would grow. God, that people who have been so apathetic in their faith for so long would all of a sudden go, wait, what's that? That's emotion. God, would you just awaken that? Would you reach down within their soul and make them feel what's happening in this moment, God? Only you can do that. I can't do that, God. But would you do that for them? Would you do that for me? So God, we invite you to fill this space in every space where this gathering goes out. Speak in a powerful way. Move as we sing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.